know I've asked you this in the past, but it's fitting here that I ask this again this morning. When you hear the word worship, what often comes to mind? A place of worship? A person of worship? Maybe even a particular style of worship? Truth is, all of us have certain things that come to mind when thinking about worship. But though that's the case, though, though all of us think about worship and feel as if worship is important, though we have strong feelings about what it should look like and how it should be done, too few of us, I believe, have been equipped properly from God's Word on worship and what God has to say about worship. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about worship. We are continuing our series this morning entitled, We Are Fellowship. And you'll remember last week I shared with you that the mission for all churches and for all believers given by Christ is that we as churches are to be making disciples. And I also explained to you last week that that's what we're all about here. That's what it says in our mission statement. Let's take a look at it once again. Over here, we're going to have this screen figured out one of these days. But over here, read it with me. Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. That's what we're all about. We believe that's what Christ has called us all to do according to scripture Matthew 28 18 through 20 that's the that's the great commission and remember we discussed last week from Ephesians 4 that the church is the place where this happens the church is the place where escorting establishing and equipping happens the church is the place where you come to learn about Christ the church is the place where you grow in your knowledge of God and in your knowledge of yourself and in the knowledge of the Christian faith and the knowledge of the world around you. And the church is the place where you get equipped to use the gifts God has given you for the purpose of ministry. And the church is the place where you do ministry. In other words, congregational life is very, very important. Because it is the very means by which we mature as followers of Christ. Well, for the next few weeks, what I'm going to share with you is how the ministries at this church help accomplish these three things, escorting, establishing, and equipping. I'm going to show you how the ministries that we have put in place will help you to grow up in Christ, to move forward in your faith. This morning, we're going to be talking about what we do in here on Sunday mornings. We're going to be talking about worship. We at Fellowship Bible Church are all about worship. We're all about worship. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 24 this morning. And what I'm going to do this morning is, I'm going to assume, like I said earlier, that you value worship. That you believe worship to be important. I believe many of you do. If I were to ask you, do you value worship, you see it as being important, my guess is many of you in here would say, yes, we do. And like I said earlier, many of you, you have strong opinions when it comes to worship. Am I right? 
how it should look and how it should be done. So I'm not going to try to convince you this morning that, that, God, that, that worship is important from God's word because I'm going to assume you already believe this. But what I am going to do this morning is this. I'm going to show you from God's word what worship is and the right and wrong way to view and do worship according to the Bible. Now, Here's the first principle we need to understand. To worship God correctly, number one, we need to be first equipped appropriately. To worship God correctly, we need to be equipped appropriately. Let's go to John 4. This is the familiar story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And in this text, we're told in the first few verses that Jesus went to Samaria, to a town called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, who was tired from this long journey and thirsty, sat down near this well and we're told it was about the sixth hour. Let's pick up reading in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Let's stop there for a minute. So notice here, Jesus sits down near this well, and he strikes up this conversation with this Samaritan woman, and he says, Give me a drink, which surprises the woman. I mean, this woman is shocked, and here's the reason why. Number one, because he's a man and she's a woman. In that day, it was not customary for men and women to talk to one another in public in this way. So just a man speaking to a woman he didn't know out in public in this way was extremely taboo. It was considered very inappropriate. So she's shocked for that reason. The second reason she's shocked is because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. I mean, in this day, those two groups did not care for one another in the least bit. There was such an intense hatred between these two groups, get this, that some of the Jews would bypass Sychar altogether. They'd take the long way around just to avoid coming in contact with and intermingling with the Samaritans. That's a pretty intense hatred, isn't it? The third reason this woman is shocked is because Jesus asks her for a drink. Now, let me tell you why this would have been shocking. When Jesus says, give me a drink, what he's essentially saying here is, give me a drink with what you have out of your bucket, with your cup. Well, guess what? If a Jewish person would have seen Jesus in this day drinking from the cup of a Samaritan woman, they would have considered Jesus as being ceremonially unclean. So this woman here is thinking to herself, what on earth is going on here? I have a Jewish man talking to me, a Samaritan woman, and asking me for a drink of water. This would have been very shocking for her, and it would have been shocking for anyone else looking on. Then, to make matters even more shocking, what we find later in the text is, this is not just any woman. This is a sexually immoral woman. Some believe that's the reason why she's there at noon. Many of the 
commentators believe that she came at noon so she could avoid all the others because normally in this day women went to draw in the cool parts of the day in the morning or in the evening so many believe that the reason why she's there at noon it it shows that she is an immoral person she's a social outcast she's going there in the hottest part of the day to avoid anyone whatsoever so the fact that Jesus is here talking to this woman initiating conversation with her is a big deal it's very shocking let's keep reading verse 10 jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god and who it is that's saying to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water the woman said to him sir you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep where do you get that living water are you greater than our father jacob he gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock jesus said to her everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will never be thirsty again the water that i will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life the woman said to him sir give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So Jesus approaches this woman and he asks her for a drink. And the woman says, I can't believe that you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink. And Jesus says... If you really knew me, you wouldn't have waited for me to ask you for a drink. But you would have come and asked me for a drink. And now the woman's really confused. She's thinking, okay, but you don't have anything to draw water with. But what's Jesus talking about here? He's not talking about physical water, is he? No. He's talking about something much bigger, much greater, much more satisfying than that. He's talking about spiritual water. He's talking about salvation to this woman. And he says here, the water you're drinking, though it's good water, it does not bring satisfaction that lasts. After drinking the water you have, you're eventually going to run out. You're going to be thirsty again. You're going to have to come back here and draw more water. Jesus says, the water I'm talking about, it satisfies. It does not quench your thirst for an hour and then you get thirsty again. Now, the water Jesus is talking about is a spiritual water. And the thirst he's talking about is a spiritual thirst. But we know upon reading this that the woman really hasn't caught on yet, has she? For her to drink the water Jesus is talking about, he has to first, get this, he has to equip her to drink. Here's the thing. Like I've said time and time again here, we are all like this woman at the well in that we have a deep longing to be happy long term. We want to be happy, don't we? We want to be satisfied, but the problem is many of us don't know how to be. Therefore, we have to be equipped appropriately. That's what Jesus has to do here for this woman before she can become a true worshiper of God he has to first equip her to worship in the right way he has to get her ready to be a worshiper and folks we need to be equipped to worship God appropriately 
That's what this time is all about. Do you know that? It is. As I've said many times in here, there is a right in a wrong way to approach God in worship. And we're going to see in just a minute that Scripture tells us true worshipers worship in what? In spirit and in what? Truth. Truth. We discussed last week that this is the place where you get established in truth. That's the reason we're here. You may not have known that coming here this morning, but now you do. That's the reason you're to be here, according to Scripture. The reason why you're here is to focus on who God is and what He has done for you, and then you're to, in turn, in light of those truths, worship Him for who He is and for what He's done for you in both word and in deed. That's it. That's the reason you're here. Scripturally. That's the reason you're here. That's why what we do in here each and every week is vital. It's vital, believers. So very important. Look at the second principle. To worship God correctly, we need to also know ourselves thoroughly. If we're going to worship God in the right way, in a way that honors Him, we have to know ourselves thoroughly. There are a couple of key truths that, that we, we have to know about ourselves from God's word in order to worship him in the right way. The first is this. Look at this. We have to realize that we are valued and loved by God. I want you to recognize something here. I want you to see something here. Listen, folks. It's not by coincidence that Jesus and this woman at the well are having this encounter. Did you know that? It's not by coincidence that she's there at noon. It's not by coincidence that Jesus is there without his disciples and is speaking to her. It's not by coincidence that this woman happens to be a Samaritan woman. And it's not by coincidence that this woman isn't a moral woman. Something significant is taking place here at the well. Of all the people Jesus could have sat with on that day and revealed himself to, he chooses an immoral Samaritan woman. What is John trying to show us here by telling us this story? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, get this, God has a heart for all people. He values all people, especially an immoral Samaritan woman. God wants to be known by her. He wants to be worshipped by her. He values and loves her. And folks, if we're going to worship God in, in, in the right way, in a God-honoring way, it's essential that we understand this about ourselves as well. That's what should motivate us to worship knowing who we truly are in the scriptures and, and, and what the scriptures say about us and then knowing that God values and loves us anyways. That should move you to worship. Second truth, though, is a bit more sobering. Second key truth is this. Second key truth we have to have a handle on if we're going to worship God in the right way is this. Though we are valued and loved by God, get this, we have sinned against him. We have sinned against God. If 
we're going to worship God in the right way, in the way that honors Him, we have to realize that we are sinners before Him. Look at John 4, 16 through 19. Jesus said to the woman, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So here, Jesus reveals to this woman that he's more than just some random somebody, right? By showing, he knows all there is to know about this woman from Samaria. He says to her, go call your husband. She responds by saying, I don't have a husband. To which Jesus replies, you're right, you don't. You've actually had five. And the man you're with at present is not your husband at all. Now put yourself in the woman's shoes for a minute. You're just there at this well, having this casual conversation about water. And out of nowhere, he just exposes her sin. He exposes her checkered past, her dark history. And the woman again is is shocked by this statement, and rightfully so, right? Now, I want you to notice what Jesus does not do here. He does not go on to condemn her, does he? He does not say, you are a lousy old sinner, far past the point of return. He doesn't have to, does he? She knows She's guilty of sin, and now she knows that he knows it, which is why she says, you're a prophet. You know what? The the reality of sin, my sin, your sin, the reality of sin in our lives and world is one of the most observable, obvious, and provable doctrines found in the Bible. Do you know that? There, There are a lot of teachings found in this book And some of them are easier to make a defense for than others, but none, I believe, are are easier to prove than this one. Than the reality of sin. I mean, just turn on the news. Pick up a paper. Go to the park. Go to a restaurant. Go anywhere. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find sinners and sinful behavior. Sin is everywhere. Now, why is it important that we understand this? Let's go back to the story of the woman at the well. Why does Jesus speak of this to her? The reason why is because, get this, Jesus wants her to come face to face with the fact that she is in need of a Savior. She's in need. She is in need of Him. He has told her about this living water. This way to be satisfied long term. He's talked about this to her and now he's going to make her thirst for it. He's going to show her need for it and make her thirst for it. He is pointing out this sin in her life to show her that she is in need. And folks, before you can become a true worshiper of God, before you can worship God in a way that honors him, you too have to come to terms with your own sinfulness. And you have to see your need of him. Before we can be true worshipers of God, we have to first be made right with Him. And the only way for us to be made right with Him is to, one, realize that we're valued and loved by God, we've been created in His image, but we need to also realize that we've fallen short of God's perfect standard. We are sinners. 
And what we need to do is we need to turn from that sin, forsake that sin, make Christ Lord of our life. Then and only then can we be made right with God and then and only then can we truly worship God in a way that he even acknowledges. So this is key. Before you can become a true worshiper, you have to take the blindfold off and realize that you're in a God-sized hole that only God can pull you out of. That's key. So for for us to worship God in in, in the right way, it's essential. We get equipped appropriately. Now we know ourselves thoroughly, but it's also important, number three, that we follow God continually. Verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now remember, we we just mentioned a moment ago that Jesus has exposed this woman. So what does she decide to do? What many of us would do, right? She changes the subject. She does. She thinks, well, I'm speaking to a man of God, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get him involved in a theological argument. That way we can talk about something other than my checkered past and my current relationship. We do this as well, don't we? And the topic that she picked was a good topic. It was a, it was a hot topic for the day. Up to this point, Samaritans believed with all their hearts that the place where God wanted them to worship was in a certain location in Samaria. Well, the Jews felt equally passionate about the fact that God wanted to be worshipped in in the temple in Jerusalem. So you have these two different groups. Both believed strongly that their place of worship was the true place of worship. And this is one of the reasons they had so much animosity and so much hatred between the two groups. So this woman is bringing up a very significant topic, a very hot topic, on the true place of worship, I believe, as a smokescreen to hide behind. But you know what? Jesus doesn't allow us to hide behind smoke screens, does he? Notice how he responds. Jesus answers her in verse 21. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There it is again. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus answers this woman here by explaining to her she's asked the wrong question. The question is not where to worship. That's not the real issue. The important question we are to have answered is how are we to worship and who? How are we to worship and who? Jesus goes on to answer these questions for this woman here in this passage so that she can be equipped and properly prepared to participate in worship in in the right way, in a God-honoring way. Jesus says, first, true worshipers, they worship in spirit. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit. Now, what point is Jesus trying to make here? By saying God is spirit. 
What he's saying is this. When we say God is spirit, what we mean is he, he doesn't have a body like we have a body. He's not bound by space and time. He's not limited to one place in the world at a time. He's not just in Jerusalem and not in Samaria. He's not just in Samaria and not in Jerusalem. Get this. He's both places and more. God is fully present everywhere. And the simple application we can make here is this. There is no place we can get away from God. Jonah tried, didn't he? Headed toward Tarshish. He's like, I'm going to get out of the presence of God. He found out God was already there. He's everywhere, fully present. And because he is everywhere, fully present, get this, he rightfully demands to be worshipped all the time, everywhere. Jesus wanted this woman to understand that God was not just in a temple in Jerusalem or a temple in Samaria. He, He wanted this woman to know that God was present with her when she returned home to spend time with someone who's not her husband god's there he's everywhere true worshipers realize that true worshipers understand god demands worship from everyone everywhere all the time day in and day out week in and week out believers we're not just to be worshiping when we're sitting in these chairs once a week on sunday morning did you know that it's when you leave this place it's when you're at work it's when you're in your car in your home all the time everywhere now there are times when we meet together to worship corporately and that time is now when we gather together as believers but but really what this time is to be all about get this this time is to be an overflow of a week's worth of worship our lives are really to be lived as one big worship service before the lord that's what scripture teaches This woman had to be equipped with this truth. And we need to realize this as well. You know, there's a lot of preparation that goes into our Sunday morning services. Put together PowerPoints, song lists, do our sound checks, our band rehearses at times. We show videos. We do all kinds of preparation. But really, all of that is secondary. The primary preparation is what is to be made by me and you here as we gather here together. And it takes place when you leave this place all throughout the week. It takes place when you go home, when you're at work, when you're with your kids, when you're by yourself. We're to make sure each and every week that we come properly prepared, that throughout the week we're pursuing godliness, we're, we're growing up in our faith, we're moving forward in our faith. We're to make that preparation Monday through Saturday, week in, week out. That's key. This is to be an overflow of that this morning when we meet here morning after morning on Sunday mornings. Listen, we could have the perfect song list, the perfect balance of sound, a well-delivered sermon, but if our hearts are not right, if what takes place in this service is not that, an overflow of a week's worth of worship, big deal. Big deal preparation that needs to be made is done by you worship done right gets it get this worship done right 
flows from a consistent and continual walk with God. Now, some of you, upon hearing that, you're, you're making connections here. You're thinking, now, wait a second. Didn't you tell us at the beginning that coming here and taking part in Sunday morning service is a vital part of our growth and godliness? Well, the important question when it comes to worship is not where worship takes place. And if worship is something we do primarily when we leave this place Monday through Saturday, is that statement correct? Do we need to be coming here on Sunday mornings? Is it true that participating in Sunday morning service is that important? And my answer, of course, is yes. Yes, it is. And I'm going to explain why in the next point. And I apologize. I left this out of your outline. That's my fault. I messed up. So do me a favor. Just mark out the conclusion and write this point in because this is an important one, all right? Point number four. To worship God correctly, we need to also be equipped corporately kind of goes back to our first point. To worship God correctly, we need to be equipped corporately. Look at John 4.24 once again. God is spirit, and all those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There it is again. Jesus makes the point here that God's people have to get equipped with the truth in order to worship God properly. Look at verse 22. I want you to notice how politically incorrect Jesus' statement is here. He tells the Samaritan woman, he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. In other words, we're right and you're wrong. For salvation is from the Jews. Imagine Jesus saying something like that to someone today. Imagine what the response would be. Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman, I'll address your question as well, your worship as Samaritans is wrong. You do not worship in accordance with the truth. You worship what you do not know. Can you imagine someone from our postmodern world today hearing that, where all truth is relative? How would they respond to Jesus? They might say, who are you, Jesus? to tell me that my worship is wrong. I mean, when I worship, I feel it. It seems like, it feels like worship to me. I'm sincere. I get goosebumps. I get teary-eyed. It sure does feel real to me. How many of y'all have got teary-eyed at a ball game or a rock concert? Got goosebumps there, yeah? Worship? Times we do this, don't we? We, we? we truly think that we're worshiping God solely based upon the way that we feel. But notice what Jesus says here in verse 22. He says, worship is so much more than a feeling. Worship is to be based on the truth. I have met some very passionate, very sincere, very religious people, people who claim to have the inside track on God, people who claim to be true worshipers of God. But after having a conversation with them, I soon realized their view of God is unbiblical. They're like the person Jesus describes in verse 22. They worship what they do not know, and their worship is not true worship. Like I said in point number one, we have to get equipped with the truth in order to worship God. Our worship, folks, has to be based on the truth that's found in this book. You understand why it's so important you come here to get established in truth? That's the reason you're to be here. Let me remind you again. 
The reason you're to come each and every week, like I said last week, is to get ready. To get ready for the world out there. To get established in truth. So that you can live in, in a world surrounded by falsehood. You're to come here to get equipped, to learn who God is and who you are and what God has done for you. And you're to respond to that message by worshiping him in both word and in deed. That's the reason you're to be here each and every week. You're to come here to get ready, to get equipped properly so that you can worship God in the right way, in a God-honoring way. Let me end with this. I hope you see this morning that what we do in here on Sunday morning, it's a vital part of your growth and godliness. Like I said last week, we're passionate about moving you forward in your faith. That's what we hang our hat on. We're going to be making some effort this year. We're going to be proactive in this, taking you from where you are as individuals and moving you forward in your faith. And a big part of that process is for you to commit to come here and come here for the purpose of getting established in the truth of what's being taught up here. So that you can in turn go out there and worship, not just in spirit, but in truth. So I pray that you value our time here. That you would see this service as a beneficial part of your spiritual life. And that you would commit to meet here on a regular basis so that you can be established in truth and equipped for ministry. But maybe you're here this morning and... You can honestly say you're like the woman at the well in this story. You sought all kinds of ways to be satisfied in this life, but you come up empty time and time again. Listen, before you can be a true worshiper of God, you have to first be escorted to him through Jesus. Jesus invites you, if you have not, to drink of the living water. You're here and, and you've sought satisfaction in all different kinds of ways and you've come up empty and you're hungry and you're thirsty. Jesus invites you to come and be satisfied. Listen to what he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, folks, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. If you're restless this morning, if you have this thirst, this hunger for lasting satisfaction and happiness in this life, I invite you to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, because get this, only Christ is able to grant lasting satisfaction to a hungry and thirsty and restless soul. Let's pray.